Welcome to our True Crime, True Family podcast. Quarantine equals no life, so we've decided to start a true crime podcast. I'm Emily, and along with my mom, Kate, and our cousin Paige, we will be discussing popular true crime documentaries and cases. Due to sensitive subject material and explicit language, viewer discretion is advised. So we're on part two of Killer Inside the Mind of Aaron Hernandez. Um, so part one covered Aaron was accused of murdering his friend Odin Lloyd, who's also the boyfriend of Aaron's fiance, Shiana Jenkins' sister, Shania. And, um, then did they go into what does my note say? I'm already messing up. I already lost my spot. Um. So I guess so. Whatever. So last time, um, Aaron was accused of murdering his friend Odin Lloyd with Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe in part three, I haven't finished part three, but I don't know if the other two were tried together or if they were ever tried. I don't. I don't know. I'm sure they'll tell us in the next episode, though. Yeah, I can't remember. But it's still so crazy that Odin Lloyd was Aaron's fiance, Shiana's sister's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then, if you thought that was complicated, his mom decided, like, right after his dad died, to start banging his cousin's husband. <laughs> very weird and tanya was like his mom and so then she like moved the husband into her house and then tanya refused to testify against aaron even though she got like got in trouble for it legally while she's dying of breast cancer we also found out that at a minimum aaron was bisexual but he had his fiance that he shared with uh that he had a daughter with um, and he, I mean, uh, he just seems like a very confused person. But Shiana and Aaron went to high school together. And, um, but then we also learned that all through high school, Aaron's, Aaron had like a relationship with the quarterback on his football team. But so, I mean, Aaron had a lot going on. And... So at the end of part one, we found out that Aaron was indicted on two criminal counts of murder in the first degree from Boston after the car involved in the shooting of Daniel DeAbrio and Safiro Furtado a year prior to the Odin Lloyd was found. Um, because they found when they issued a search warrant, um, they found the car in Aaron's cousin's Tanya's house. Uh, that was involved in the shooting. And then a month after those murders of Daniel De Abreu and Sphere Furtado, Aaron signed a five year, $40 million contract with the New England Patriots. Like, that's insane. Like, talk about a double life. Yeah. The part two opens with a jail call between Aaron and his agent. And his agent is like, I'm still trying to get you marketing deals. And it's like, well, good luck with that, buddy. And they're, like, laughing. And Aaron's like, hey, man, get me a Smith & Wesson deal. It's like, okay, Aaron, like, God. That's not smart to joke about getting a gun deal when you're in jail for murder. (laughs) Aaron's like, oh, shit, oh, shit. Like, I cannot imagine laughing on the phone in jail. I mean, I guess people obviously do, but, like, he's, like, cracking up. It's like, oh, my, I couldn't imagine talking to someone like that in jail. I'd be sobbing the entire time. Yeah. So, to most people, it's, like, unfathomable how Aaron fucked up all of that money and his NFL career for what? Like, his, none of this makes any sense. And, like, why would you even entertain a life of crime? 
But so in the Boston shootings of Daniel Abreu and Safira Furtado, Aaron Hernandez allegedly shot at their car because they spilled a drink on him in a nightclub. I was like, Lord, this guy. <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure it was the CTE, but like, come on, man. Like, that's ridiculous. The prosecutors for the Boston murders followed the Odin Lloyd, Odin Lloyd trial very closely. Like, well, duh, wouldn't you? Like, I would hope so. They kept in contact with the prosecutors and the detectives assigned to the Odin Lloyd trial. So in the Odin Lloyd trial, they were not allowed to bring anything up about Aaron being a suspect in the Boston double murders. So mom of the year, Terry Hernandez, is asking Aaron how all that is going to work on his recorded jail phone calls. Like, I bet his lawyers love that. Like, please tell me your legal strategy on this recorded line. Um, Aaron tells her it's a whole different court thing. It would be a whole separate trial because this dumb bitch was like, well, so will they just like tack those murders on? Like, no, they don't just tack it on. No, it's another trial. You <laughs> idiots. Like, and lady, and she's like, how does that work, Aaron? Man, do you have Google? Like, your son only gets like so much time to call. Why are you asking him these questions? Like, what an idiot. Aaron's like, I'm not worried about it either way. I didn't do it. And it's like, okay, Aaron, like, does anybody believe you? She's like, well, they're going to give you something. You just aren't getting off scot-free. Jesus Christ. Could you imagine you're in jail? And she's like, well, for sure you're going to jail for something. Like, what in the world? Like, can't they take those tapes and play them in court? Um, I think if it has to do with... But the point is, it's like, why would you talk about anything that would have to do with guilt or innocence on a recorded line? <laughs> but I'm also very extra, like... Like anybody sits, like cares to sit and listen to all of like Aaron's conversations. <laughs> but I mean, I guess somebody did because we're hearing some of them now. So Tanya Singleton and Aaron were super close. Tanya's husband jumped from her to Aaron's mom, and Tanya was his closest relative, was Aaron's closest relative. So police had obtained a search warrant for Tanya's house and found the silver SUV that was wanted in connection with the murders in Boston. Tanya also refused to testify against Aaron. So Tanya took contempt and ended up going to jail for a number of months. And I was like, cancer. Yeah, cancer and all. And I was like, geez, everyone should have a cousin like Tanya. Like, damn, talk about like having your back. Yeah, like, I love all you motherfuckers, but I ain't going to jail for you. Um, what my, what I actually wrote was, everyone should have a cousin like Tanya. Sorry to all my cousins. Don't involve me in your crimes and or cover-ups. My anxiety could never. Yeah. <laughs> like, love y'all, but I ain't going to jail for you. No, I know. First of all, you would just have to look at me very hard and I fold, like, a cheap suit like it's like oh no I don't I don't do well under pressure I don't think (laughs) I would crack immediately (laughs) but so this guy says and he was like the district attorney I think but I didn't write his name down he said that it had a disastrous effect on our cancer treatment and it's like oh for real people like William McCauley oh that is the guy I think his name is William McCauley says Miss Cumming Singleton was advised that her testimony was necessary relative to a brutal senseless double homicide within the city of Boston she deliberately flouted that order and refused to testify it's like yeah okay but like you still made the decision to pursue those charges against her like you like you you had to like go out of your way to charge her and you know she's dying of cancer yeah like 
And you would think that they would be able to, like, appeal for compassionate release or something. Or, like, can't couldn't she do her, like, house arrest, like, her time from house arrest while she's getting treatment? I don't yeah. know. This seems like a really weird thing to pursue. Because, like, you have to pursue that. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. And I guess, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess he's looking at it as like well two people died and you you're gonna let the killer get away but i don't know i mean you should be able to like i don't know i mean i guess i understand threatening her with it and like acting but like to follow through it's kind of like really dude really well but you kind of have to don't you like you know um, I would think, I mean, by the time that you need her to testify and she shows up to court and chooses not to testify and gets found in contempt, like, her, your trial would already be over by the time you're going to trial for her thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I would think that you file the charges and everything, but then you would probably drop them. Yeah. But. I don't know. It just seems very vindictive and like unnecessary. So Aaron and Tanya talk on the phone once she's out of prison and Aaron's telling her like how depressed he was. And Aaron, it's hard because he sounds like such a kid some of the time. Like, and I don't mean like his voice, like just the way he speaks. It's like if a little kid was talking to you, I don't know how to explain that. Was that only when he was talking to Tanya or when he was talking to everybody? I mean, it was kind of, I think it's more pronounced when he's talking to Tanya, like where he seems more childlike, but it's like, kind of like he, I guess maybe it's like that, like innocent, like he just seemed like he didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know. Maybe like Forrest Gump. I don't know. <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to say it to be me. <laughs> I don't I don't even know how to explain it. But he does like there are times I feel bad for him and then it's like other times I'm like, are you an idiot? Like I like why on earth would you ever do any of the things that you did? Yeah. I don't know. But he does seem like he is like the Hulk. Like I bet him scary would be like goddamn horrifying. If he was mad, don't you think, like, I bet it would be like, oh, my God, all my bones are about to be broken. Yeah, it's kind of like a bipolar type. Yeah. You know, like, oh, he's going to get mad, so what's going to happen? Well, and it's also weird, like, you hear Aaron and Tanya talking, and then, like, you hear Aaron and his mom, his actual mom talking, and it's like, Tanya does, is the one that sounds like his mom. Yeah. Yeah, like, she's got more compassion Sometimes she's like reassuring him and she's like very motherly and she's like, I'm always going to be here for you. You don't have to worry about it. Like she gave him a lot of reach. And I, I would think that Aaron, like Aaron doesn't like Tanya seems like she decided to not testify against him because she wasn't going to testify against him. It's not like Aaron said, don't testify against me. Like Aaron, I would think would be like, no, it's okay. You can just do it. Yeah. With her. Yeah, like, that kind of, like, like he seems like almost like a kid like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But Stephen Ziogas tells us, it was tough on Aaron to ever be alone. Like, could you imagine? And wasn't he in solitary confinement for a long time? So, I can't remember. Dan Wetzel tells us that Aaron had a plan to join his brother DJ at the University of Connecticut and play football. After Dennis passed away, that all changed. And so Aaron decided to go take a visit to see the University of Florida, even though it pretty much like they'd always assumed he was going to go to UConn. Um, And so when he went down there, he just decided he was going to commit. And so the news stunned his family, and he says his mother had no idea it was coming. 
And it didn't seem like his mom paid that much attention anyway, but his brother didn't know. Yukon didn't know. It was not expected. And so I sounds like a thing, like, I don't know if it's still like this, but back in the day, if you were like going to get scholarships or whatever, you could get recruited and then, but they couldn't talk to you before. I think it wasn't it after your sophomore year, whatever season the, what your sport was, you could, they couldn't talk to you until after your sophomore year, but before that they could talk to your parents. And so I think they kind of thought that he was going to like come, like go to Yukon and then he just up and went to Florida and like they didn't sign anything because they just thought he was a lock because his brother was playing there. And then he went down on this trip and signed the commitment papers. And so it's like, all right, well, you're done. And I guess that's crazy. Cheyenne Jenkins, Aaron's fiance, testifies that Aaron left for college before they had actually graduated from high school. And Aaron's friend Stephen, um, and Aaron's friend Stephen also said that him and Aaron had a sexual relationship for years. And he says that Florida knew what they were getting. They do their due diligence, and they knew they were getting an unbelievable player that was very, very young with some traumatic emotional things that are going to come with him. And so Florida had an amazing football program. And so, like, for Aaron, it would have been very attractive. You've got cheerleaders, the packed stadium. Um, you know, Urban Meyer was a young, aggressive coach who was pursuing perfection. And um, I guess Urban Meyer would say, like, he wanted a competitor first and foremost. Like, you didn't have to be the best in the sport, but you had to have a certain, like, attitude. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so when Aaron went to Florida, Tim Tebow played for Florida as well. And so Tim Tebow was known for being very religious in the NFL. And he used to write John 316 on his eye And um, so Tim Tebow was a junior for Aaron's freshman year. And so when Aaron came in, it was right after his dad died. Aaron was trying to establish himself in Florida, and he had to prove himself. And Wetzel says that Aaron had the rare combination of speed, size, and ability to catch the ball. Um, And Aaron did very well at Florida football-wise. And the team was a powerhouse that year. And Aaron, like, he was an unbelievable football player. Uh, Like, they show a lot of his catches and stuff, and this stuff just looks insane. But it was a lot of pressure. Um, Chris Borland played football at Wisconsin, and he tells us that at Wisconsin, I was taken aback by how serious practice was taken. I was playing on every special team. I was running scout team. I was running with our twos on defense. Objectively, just too much of a load for anybody. And I saw, you know, a line of our upperclassmen with their pants down to their knees, just waiting to get their Toradol injection. And I didn't know this. At 18, I thought these 15 upperclassmen starters are taking steroids before the game. And he said that I later found out it was Toradol, this painkiller that our team docs would administer so guys could play with whatever they had going on. And yeah, I mean, I would have thought it was steroids too. Yeah. But I mean, I don't, I don't really know what Toradol is, but I think it's like is an anti-inflammatory thing where basically it's like taking like a massive crazy dose of Advil. But we hear a call between Aaron and Mike Pouncey and Aaron says, for real, weed and Toradol, that's all you need, baby. Like, which sounds so stupid. Yeah. So Mike tells Aaron that they're canceling all the Toradol. They don't want to give Toradol shots no more. And Aaron tells Mike, if the players want that, they're getting that. Um, but Mike Massey tells us, semi-pro football was a way for us to keep our dream, keep living our dream. In semi-pro, they play to, they pay to play. So that doesn't make any sense to me. because I feel like semi-professional, like you would get paid to play, but just not as much as like a, like a professional. But I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. Um, 
but he said that we're all supposed to pay about 75 to 100 bucks each just so we can pay the referees, pay the trainers, and EMTs that come out and tape us up. He says that you couldn't put a price on the brotherhood that they shared. Odin had to borrow someone else's jersey because he didn't put his money in the pot at one point. So Mike Massey didn't expect to see Odin Lloyd at either end of a gun. Massey says, we were supposed to be protected because we were football players. Even the hardest, most vile thugs didn't fuck with us because we were football players, and it's so ironic that a fucking football player that wanted to be a fake fucking gangster killed my boy. So Wetzel tells us that Odin Lloyd's murder was an extremely sloppy crime. Um, so they were, um, Aaron was immediately a suspect because he was the only person in North Attleboro that Odin Lloyd knew. The prosecution had no murder weapon, no clear motive. They had cell phone tower evidence and surveillance video. And they show a video of Aaron getting gas and dancing at the gas station. And apparently he'd been smoking weed all weekend. And the video, like, he just looks weird and stupid. <laughs> then apparently he left there, picked up Odin Lloyd, and murdered him. Aaron got gas, blue cotton candy gum, and black and mild, which are rolling papers, I guess. And Daniel Arahi of the a North Attleboro police detective says there was a blunt that was located to the right of the deceased body. And the DNA on the blunt matched Aaron's DNA. Yeah. He did such a bad job. <laughs> so Aaron returned the car to Enterprise Rent-A-Car the next day after the murder. There were gun shells found in the car. Like, real smooth, Aaron. A bullet was found next to a piece of chewed blue bubble gum. Like, why don't you just, like, leave a note in the car that said, I did it. Love, Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> um, investigators say they matched shell casings from the murder scene to one forty-five caliber shell found in Aaron's rental car. They matched tire tracks, shoe cell phone messages, shoe prints, fingerprints, handprints, etc. Aaron really, really made it obvious he was at the crime scene. Basically, the only question was if Aaron was the one that actually pulled the trigger or not. So we're told, if the charges are correct, he had a mini arsenal of guns. If the charges are correct, if his feelings were hurt or he felt personally dissed, it seems at least on three instances, he took it out by pulling out a gun and shooting people. Jumped to April 28, 2007 in Gainesville, Florida. And so Gainesville is where the University of Florida is. Aaron was on campus. Him and T Tim Tebow went out on a Friday night to a bar called The Swamp, which sounds disgusting. <laughs> he was underage, but he was served two alcoholic drinks that night. He thought there was no bill. So the manager came up to him and waved the receipt at him and said, what about this? So Aaron sucker punched him. Like, could you imagine? Like, <laughs> that seems so random. <clears throat> So Aaron sucker punched him in the ear and burst his eardrum. Like, I I bet that would hurt. Oh, yeah. God damn. The manager declined to press charges, so Aaron was never charged. And so what Aaron took from all that was like, oh, look what I look what I can get away with down here. And not like, oh, shit. Like, I just got so lucky. I better fucking watch my so Dennis Sansucci said that Aaron put on 10 to 15 pounds and then he started getting tattoos. Patrick Hagan, the prosecutor, says that they had Aaron's tattoos analyzed and were told what they meant. And he said these weren't just art to Aaron. These tattoos meant a lot to him. They were essentially his life. There was a huge tattoo memorializing his father who meant the world to him. We see Aaron in an interview and he's talking about his tattoos, and one was a quote that his dad liked. It said, if it is to be, it is up to me. And so Aaron's dad had kept him in check when he was alive. And once his father died, he basically, like, fell off course. And so they played a call between Aaron and Mar Marquise Pouncey, one of Aaron's teammates at Florida. And the amount of times they say the N-word was shocking. Like, they're talking about strip clubs talking about going to some strip club 
called Tootsies. I'm like, Aaron says about Tootsies, them bitches look way better than my wifey. You know what I'm saying? <gasps> like, I don't care if that's the God's honest truth. Like, shut the fuck up. That is so rude. I would be so mad. Like, I'm sticking by you and you're going to say some dumb shit like that? Yeah. I would be so angry. That is so, it's so rude. I was so mad. I would be so mad at Dan. I would haunt him. I would come back and haunt him. (laughs) Dennis Sansucci thought that Aaron got the tattoos to hide his sexuality. And it's like, what? Like, I think he got Shyana to hide his sexuality, not tattoos. (laughs) Like, Aaron just had double lives. Like, he just wanted, he, he just, he was night and day, like, a different person. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's suspected that Aaron was embarrassed or ashamed about his sexuality, so he kind of hyped up that macho side and, like, talked down and kind of masochistic to kind of try to keep it under wraps and keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. And so Ryan O'Callaghan, who was a kicker for uh, the Patriots, explained that most people hear gay men, gay man, and assume they would be small or fragile or thin, not like a big burly football player. Ryan tried to lean into the straight stereotype and put on a bunch of weight. Coaches begged him to lose weight, but he wanted to be as unattractive as possible. So no one would wonder why he didn't have a girlfriend. I'm like, that's really sad. Like, people have to worry like that. Mm-hmm. But Aaron's, um, on his call, he's like reminiscing about some. I mean, he just sounds so ridiculous when he's on his jail calls. So, Florida Gators coach Urban Meyer knew that there was a lot of distraction at game in Gainesville, and he worked very long hours. He was very involved. Would meet with his players at all times. Aaron would come over to the family dinners. They would meet um, for Bible studies. Stephanie Meyer, Urban's wife, says that Aaron was in their house often, spent time with their kids, and it was sad to see the person they knew make such horrible decisions. And, like, Aaron just seems like anytime he's he makes a choice for himself, he's always going to pick the wrong one. <laughs> Aaron's on the phone with Shiana, and he's telling her that he can't anything but he can hear people laughing and carrying on because he can see and he says one of those things and like he's talking about like a transgendered inmate and it's uncomfortable like listening to him talk about it and Cheyenne is like stop like saying that don't call anyone those things like like you're being rude and she told him off she's like they're not things. They're still people. And he's like, oh, man, that's, what, that's just what they say around here. It's just very weird to hear people talk like that. And maybe mm-hmm. it's because, like, now we're so trained to, like, you know, like, you yeah. don't things. But I don't know. The amount of patience I would have with him if I was Shiana, like, for one, you're saying these hideous, disgusting things about other people. Two, like, you want to say that, like, someone is not as good as, I'm not as good as someone. Are you for real? Yeah. Oh, my God. I still, like, that's so, I'm so mad at him for her. (laughs) What a jerk. Um, So, Massey calls Aaron a crash test dummy. He tells us that's what we call them, crash test dummy. Somebody who's literally ready to crash into the wall to impress somebody else and improve their chances to be more popular. Like, I call that a try hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very annoying, much like Hannah on Summer House, <laughs> who is truly the worst. But I did see that they fired her, so she at least won't be back next year. Oh my God. But Massey basically calls Aaron out for being brash and arrogant and playing both sides of the fence. He points out that the more shit you get away with, the more untouchable that you feel. 
So we're told that in Gainesville on September 30th, 2007 at 2.30 a.m., there was a case that is still to this day open where a couple of guys got in a fight with some football players. As they were pulling away, a man fitting Aaron Hernandez's description began shooting into their car. Both men were shot and they got away. Like, Aaron, can you please, like, make it any more obvious? Like, do, do you have any other moves? <laughs> like, he's like, oh, I get mad, I shoot. Like, maybe, can somebody take guns away from this man, please? Um, Dennis Sansucci says that he remembers that shooting. Aaron wasn't even 18. He didn't have to do a police report or anything. To this day, nothing has been done. Athletes in Florida quickly learned that they were treated differently. Charges can disappear in these college towns. I'm like, I mean, I guess I believe, I mean, I do believe it. I, I remember when I went to WVU, one of the, um, my roommate dated one of the football players and just their dorms were. They would have, like, a room that was a suite that was meant to be shared by three people, and it'd be one person in there. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And it was, like, decked out with, like, a big screen TV and, like, fridge and everything. Like, it was, like, nice. Uh, So, I mean, like, not that I ever, like, I've never legally been in trouble with anything, so... Like, I don't know if people get out of trouble, but I would believe that they get out of a lot of trouble in most, like, college athletes in a small college town. Mm-hmm. But they point out how profitable football can be in college towns. And he was still uh, allowed to play football, even though he'd been involved. And they all knew he was involved in it. It's not like they didn't think, they didn't know what happened. They just didn't charge him with it. Uh so this allegedly happened. It was covered up his freshman year. And like Aaron just, he, he I don't know. I mean, it's obvious he had like severe brain damage. So like, it's hard to like, even think of like, I mean, he does some horrible things and says like jackass things, but like, there's a part of me that's like, does he even know what he's doing though? I don't know. It's like getting mad at a puppy almost. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh my god, you're too stupid to even know that you shouldn't pee there. Just move out of the way. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I don't know. So Aaron told people that Urban Meyer told him not to return for his senior year. I'm like, that sounds weird. Um, I mean, I would think a college coach would want their, like, you know these kids are going to, if they can leave early, they're going to leave early for the NFL. I don't think you're going to be like, please go to the NFL right now. Uh, So Aaron entered the NFL at the age of 20. And so Aaron expected, and people around him expected him to be a first-round draft pick. But the NFL doesn't leave anything to chance. So, you know, like, they didn't just look at football skills. Um, And there was enough of a question mark about Aaron character-wise. The teams hired private investigators and did behavioral analysis on Aaron. And Aaron's score for maturity was the absolute lowest possible. And, like, it revealed he had, like, failed drug tests and, um, like, I guess he would just smoke weed all the time, and I guess you get tested, and they would just cover him up for him. I, I assume that's what they're talking about. But to combat his issues, Aaron and his agent composed a letter to send out to teams offering to volunteer to be drug tested more often, and that he would, you know, be tested more than any other player. And so on April 22nd, 2010, the NFL draft was at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. And the first round went by, second round went by, third round went by. And Aaron's friend Steven was incredulous. Like, when is my buddy going to get picked? Like, he was the absolute dead last. And they cut to, like, everybody looking stressed out. And then he ended up getting picked in the fourth round. Um, I, I feel like 
like I would just be blown away to be picked. Period. Like I wouldn't care if I was the last person picked. Well, I guess it's like super it important. The money. Yeah. Yeah. But the least paid player in the NFL still makes like over a million a season. But he was picked 113th overall. But he had the talent of a first rounder, but he didn't go until the fourth round. Which, like, goddamn, what was his character analysis must have been scary. <clears throat> um I so so Bill Belichick, I hate Bill Belichick. Yeah. I do like that meme when people um say that he looks like the mom from the Goonies. He's doing a press conference talking about Aaron, and he's saying that they're off to a good start, and then he's lying, saying that he was surprised that they had the opportunity to draft him. Like, okay, sir, like, you don't know exactly what everyone is picking each time? Like, don't they all talk about it? They trade draft picks and shit? Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, oh, I'm surprised. You knew. And he sent you a letter, sir. But um, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft had a relationship with Urban Meyer and leaned on him for advice. And Aaron seems like he just needed a babysitter 24 hours. Like he just needed someone to follow him around to make sure he didn't do anything. And Aaron failed one test and sat out a week. And um, they say that Aaron always seemed to have issues when he went to Connecticut. And so the Patriots would try not to let him go back to Connecticut, at least during football season. So basically everyone in Aaron's life wanted him as far away from Connecticut as possible, even his friends in Connecticut. (laughs) So Alexander Bradley was an associate of Aaron Hernandez, which I hate when people say associate. Well, like, what does that mean? Right. An associate, like no, I met him, and I I don't like him now, so I'm trying to distance myself. Is what that means. Um, when Aaron met Alexander Bradley, he was just finishing school in Florida and about to go into the NFL. Um, and Bradley was a convicted drug dealer. Prosecutors described him as a drug kingpin, and he was also a gun dealer in Connecticut. Alexander Bradley had a long rap sheet. We're told that at one point, Alexander Bradley was shot in the groin at a bar in Hartford. Bradley sought revenge, went out and got a gun outside of the bar, came back in, and shot into the bar 11 times. Like, that same night, I think I'm just heading to the hospital if I get shot. (laughs) Like, what? They show a quick clip, and I would be terrified. And this podcast has really proved to me that I'm probably terrible in a crisis. Thank God I married Dan. He really has his shit together. Like, I would be lost in life if it were not for this man. Nah, your fight or flight would kick in. I've heard people say that a lot. Okay, look, I'd get by. It would... It wouldn't be pretty. (laughs) Bradley testifies that he initially got to know Aaron because he would bring Aaron marijuana really Aaron like can't you just play off the weed like you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars just like do it on the off season or after you retire you dumbass like you are very annoying you had to write a whole separate letter promising to be good and probably like how much money you think you really lost by not being able to go first round like tens of millions I'm sure like why not just put this shit down So Bradley says that Aaron was a daily smoker, a heavy smoker, a chain smoker. And like, yeah, we get it. He's also an idiot. Like, I can tell you that. (laughs) Alexander Bradley says that him and Aaron became good friends. And so then they start talking about the Patriot way. Guys go there, conform, and success happens. Oh, well, they left Alexander Bradley and they moved on to talk about, like, the attitude of, you know, being a part of the Patriot organization and um, you know they said guys go there conform conform, and success happens and I'm sure like you probably have money for babysitters somebody should just pay to babysitter 
So we bought him, played for the Patriots, and he says, walking into the Patriots locker room in 2009, they talked about playoffs, they talked about Super Bowl, they expect winning. Bill Belichick studied generals and leaders, and there was the thought that Bill Belichick may be a good fit for Aaron, who needed discipline and to be held accountable. Brian O'Callaghan says it helped him. It was what he needed, like going into the Patriots organization, because there was no distractions for him, and the focus was on winning. So Ryan McDonald testified. Ryan was Aaron's personal assistant. They met in the sixth grade. They got back in touch after Aaron was drafted into the NFL. And they were super close and spoke daily. We hear a jail phone call between Ryan and Aaron. And Ryan asks him about Shay, his baby mama. And Aaron, and Aaron's like, we're cordial. She hates me every other day. It's like, gee, I wonder why, Aaron. <laughs> Shayana's on the stand. I'm like, wow. Like, what? I wouldn't give to hear her talk about this, like, unfiltered to hear her like true thoughts like if she was drunk I would tell you everything that that happened that oh I bet her life was crazy so she's asked why they decided to be a couple in the long run and she said it was after he was drafted to the Patriots I'm like I really need and want a documentary about those two sisters so <laughs> Cheyenne had left her life and moved to be with Aaron um and Cheyenne's asked if they had any rules about marijuana, and she said that Aaron had a designated spot to smoke in his man cave. And they asked Cheyenne how she met Odin Lloyd, and she says through her sister. And I was like, oh, yikes. Massey says that Odin had been working out and getting bigger. Aaron and Odin had the possibility of being brother-in-laws. The sisters hung out constantly. They both loved football. They both also loved weed. Odin would roll blunt specifically for Aaron. Odin was apparently known as the blunt master. Like, all right, like that seems nice. <laughs> but the main point is that Owen, Odin and Aaron were friends. So Lee Bodden says that Aaron had a big personality. He tells some story about Aaron inviting him to hang out, but they never got the chance to hang out. Like it was really pointless when he arrived. And he's like, oh, somebody talked to me. Aaron didn't really fit in at the Patriots. And Aaron tells Cheyenne that the Patriots try to ruin all your fun because they want you to only be business, which is why they win. Like, um, and they're paying you like, like millions, multi millions of dollars. So, I mean, yeah, I think maybe you shouldn't be allowed to smoke weed all day. <laughs> Sorry. Like, he sounds like such a child. He sounds like my sister in high school. <laughs> Do you know she, like, one time yelled at me and said that her getting in trouble was all my fault because I didn't break my parents in like I should have? Because what? I didn't break my parents in like I should have. Oh, my God. She's like, this shit should not be a big deal to them by now. It's not my fault you're good. (laughs) And she was dead serious. She's like, this is a legit argument right here. So, um, oh, and Cheyenne, I was just like, whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. He's so annoying. So, Aaron did very well on the field. It was said Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski were the greatest two tight end tandem in NFL history. And he was very impressive. It's, it's a real shame. But we hear Cheyenne and Aaron talking about how fucked up his body was from football. And I can't even imagine how painful football is like that I bet you like cannot walk the day after a game and then they just kept showing clip after clip of Aaron getting hit and like my bones hurt it was tough and they would pump them full of meds and tell them to play through their pain and when you're young I feel like when you're young and you really want to do something like when I was in high school I have broken a finger before or something and I could play through that like now I feel like if I broke my finger now I would tell Dan like I have to be on the couch for two weeks minimum and I cannot (laughs) cook or clean I can only lift the remote and a fork a fork (laughs) (laughs) 
they bring up CTE and the first case of CTE was a Wisconsin alum named Mike Webster. A news report says he was a crucial part of the Steelers' legendary team in the 1970s. But after his death, he, made, he became the first player to be diagnosed with the brain disease CTE. So um, on May 12th of 2012, family and friends of Junior Seau gathered outside his home in shock and grief. Junior Seau was found dead from a gunshot wound. He shot himself in the chest so his brain could be studied. Like, that's intense. Mm-hmm. And he had CTE. And it is scary looking to me when they show the, like, a normal brain next to a CTE brain. And brain trauma is scary as shit to me anyway. I think probably just because of my dad. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, it is crazy. Like, I, legitimately, I, I said goodbye to my dad one morning, and it was a different person by the time I got home from school that day. Yeah. And like I and that's I think maybe that's where I also have like sympathy for Aaron. It's like I can't even imagine what goes on in his head. Cause like brain damage is like sad to see. Mm-hmm. And I mean like I've never really known anybody that played football that like that intensely that like you would ever think like I bet they have CT. Mm-hmm. Like I'd imagine, like I don't know. It's like Mike Tyson makes me uncomfortable to see like him talk sometimes. Like when he starts getting agitated, it's like, oh my god, please somebody just take it out. <laughs> Have you ever seen when he gets like mad at people and like people will try to ask him questions? Like, are you insane? Like he could punch you and kill you dead. And no, they'll like never, sit there never. and they'll, oh my gosh, it's uncomfortable. Very. Um, so in 2012, the Patriots um, were in the Super Bowl, and the school that Aaron's mom, Terry, worked at did this big assembly, and everyone cheered for Aaron. And then they cut back to prison calls between Aaron and his mom fighting again. And I can't stand either one of them, but his mom seems awful. So he tells her that he tries to trust her, but every time he tells her something, it gets back to him. So like, I guess he's saying that she can't be trusted and so he'll tell her pieces of information and then it circles its way back to him. And she's like, well, why don't you trust me? And he goes, it's like, that's why Tanya and I are so close. I can trust her and I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, dig that knife in. I would have said that too. (laughs) He tells her she's going to die never knowing her son. Aaron's mom is an idiot. And she annoys the fuck out of me. So Aaron's friend Stephen questions if Aaron was ever happy or content. Brian says if he had ever acted on his feelings towards men, he would have been super paranoid and overcompensating. Alexander Bradley is asked if he noticed anything about how the defendant acted when they would be at nightclubs, and he said that he acted like a tough guy all the time. Aaron said that he didn't like people looking at him or staring at him. He felt like people were trying him. And I mean, also, you're huge, Aaron. Like, I bet people be staring at you because you're big. Like, and they're, where else are they going to look? You take up all the space. <laughs> like, take up all the space. Well, or like, you think he's like someone famous. Like, you can tell, like, when we were in the Bahamas one time, UNC was there for a tournament and I knew exactly who the basketball players were because they were all like seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. So like if somebody and Aaron was big like that, like if he walks in, you're just like, oh my God, are you a giant? <laughs> and like when Dan and I worked at the company we used to work together, we used to get tickets to go to this NFL gala sometimes. And we would take pictures with those guys. And they were huge. Like, on screen, on the football field, I'm like, oh, that guy looks scrawny. And then you see him in person, and he's, like, the size of a fucking tree. <laughs> but Bradley says he was over overacting about it, overreacting to it. Aaron asked Bradley to get him a firearm so people would stop trying him for protection. And he said that Aaron was a pretend gangster. <laughs> So Alexander Bradley is shown surveillance video from July 16, 2012. He's asked if he knew Daniel D'Abreu prior to that night, and he says no. 
So they've been in this pub dancing, and this guy spilled a drink on Aaron and out and uh, Alexander Bradley. Aaron wanted to fight, but Alexander calmed him down. So then, at the end of the night, they saw them again, and Aaron wanted to follow them. Like, and I don't know. I don't think that was all Aaron. Like, this guy seemed like he's like wasn't he a drug kingpin? I'm sure he was like egging it on too. But this fool gets in the car and follows them. But you got in the car too, so I'm sure it's all just Aaron and none of you. Allegedly, Aaron yelled, yo, and no one noticed, so he yelled it again and shot into their car. Like, what an idiot. Aaron fired five shots, allegedly. The police were stumped. They really had no motive. All they knew was the car was a silver SUV. They saw that Aaron was there, but they never really considered him as a suspect because why would a fucking professional football player be shooting in a fucking nightclub like a goddamn idiot? Aaron, um, so Aaron just went off to training camp. Like, he's just lived this double life, and then the Patriots signed him to a $40 million five-year contract a month after these double murders. Could you even imagine? No. So Aaron's mom makes me hate her more every single time they put her on this fucking show. Anytime she speaks, She's on a nerve. She's on a jail phone call with Aaron, and she says, we were on a fucking little leash, little leash. Oh, give me a crumb here and there. Aaron, you're so great. Blah, blah, blah. Give you a little crumb here and there. Bullshit. The amount that I would hurt that lady's feelings if she called me while I was in jail complaining about not getting enough money from me, I would annihilate her. Aaron says, what do you want me to do? This dumb bitch says, I told you when you got that fucking 40 million, give me a million. I'm set for life. My brain would have exploded, Paige. There's no <laughs> way on this earth anyone could ever say things like that to me. Ever. Aaron's like, I'm not giving, and she cuts him off. She's like, I'm helping DJ right now. Ma'am, your son is in jail for murder. Like, focus on that, please. Like, not this pretend money that's gone anyway. What are you mad about it now? Aaron's like, the fuck you mean give you a million dollars? Like, eggs. Fuck, exactly, Aaron. The fuck you mean, you dumb cum dumpster? Like, get the fuck out of my face, lady. Like, what a bitch. You're gonna sit there and go fuck my cousin's husband right after my dad dies and yell about fucking money in my face? Never, ever. Will that happen? <laughs> this bitch better get for real. I do you know how quick I would put her in her place? <laughs> and oh. she's like, oh, I would put my own mother in her place. And my mother is an angel. If she ever tried to tell me something about like, oh, like you should have given me all your money. What? Your mom barely accepts <laughs> bread from you. She wouldn't. But if somebody told me that like I owed them something. After you fucked my cousin's husband after my dad died, like, ten minutes later? No, you don't get to complain about shit. <laughs> oh my, I'd be so mad. Oh, my gosh. I would be like, oh, well, you know what? I didn't do these murders, but when I get out for those, I'm coming after you. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I would be, I was, like, angry for him. Like, on every, no, really? Really? You fuck like, I do, like, his dad dying was traumatic, but, like, you really had to go and, and dig the knife there, like, break up your cousin's marriage and move him into, like, this kid's house, like, ten minutes after his dad died? Are you for real? And Aaron's like, you act like I had 40 million. Like, exactly. Um, It's over five years, you dumbass fucking Terry. He didn't get $40 million the day he signed the contract. You idiot. And I would imagine if he got like arrested in the middle of his 40-year contract, he probably had to give whatever he did make back. They probably took it from his estate. He's like, get the fuck out of here, Mom. I would not be calling her mom. I'd be like, <laughs> fuck right off, Terry. You greedy fucking bitch. I'm like, what? What good does any of this conversation do? He's in jail. What's he going to do about it now? She's so annoying. Is she not annoying? Yeah, that is, that is really bad. 
Like, it's, like, first of all, be glad I'm accepting, like, call, speaking to you, you dumb cunt. <laughs> I would be so mad. Like, no, first of all, like, could you imagine my sister? If my mom had sex with somebody, like, a month after my dad, I think my, my sister would cry if my mom went out to dinner with someone. Yeah. Could you imagine if, like, she, like, broke up someone's marriage? Could you imagine if my mom walked in with John Paul? <gasps> and, like, ten minutes after my dad died, like, Mary would, like, murder them both with her bare hands. Yeah. She, he, she wouldn't have gotten to college in the NFL. His mom is the worst. I really hate that lady. We no. see Gronkowski shutting down interviews every time he's asked about Aaron. And, like, that would be annoying. And I guess I kind of get it because, like, as a reporter, like, you kind of have to ask it. But, like, when he says it once, just shut up. And, like, and what do you expect he's going to be allowed to say about it? I guarantee, like, Belichick was probably, like, uh, anyone that says anything other than, like, I'm not talking about this, you're getting fined a million dollars. Yeah. And like, and and they don't drop it. They bring up OJ. Like, it's like who fucking cares? Aaron was the first person to kill two people and play a full season of professional football that they are aware of. Can you even imagine? Like, well, good for him. Put him in the Guinness Book of World Records. Like, who cares? Bradley out. Was it, no, it's Alexander Bradley. It says that after the night in Boston, Aaron would get extremely paranoid of everything and everyone. He didn't like iPhones around him. He thought he was being recorded. I could not deal with someone that was paranoid like that. No. I like saw it in a movie one time when someone was like thinking everything. I was like, oh, there's no way. I would have no patience. Like, go live in the woods then, okay? Um, so on February 13th of 2013, Aaron and Alexander Bradley went to Miami, Florida. They went to a strip club, Tootsie's Cabaret. Aaron was paranoid that he was going to get in trouble for the double homicide in Boston. And he kept thinking that cops were following him. Aaron sounds super fucking annoying. Shiana probably was glad when he went to jail. <laughs> She's like, thank God, I can get a minute's rest. Alexander Bradley was sick of his ass and was like, well, if they are following us, it's because of that dumb shit you did in Boston. Alexander said that that made Aaron upset. And I would be like, be upset then, dummy. Like, I would be so over him. So they decided to leave at like 5 a.m. and Alexander Bradley fell asleep in the car. When he woke up, Aaron Hernandez had a gun in his face. So he put his arms up, like, don't shoot like that. You know, like, oh, I'm not, like, I'm resisting or whatever. Aaron shot the gun, dumped him out of the car, and bounced. Like, what in the world? Like, Aaron's pretty fucking predictable. Like, if you say anything to him, he's going to shoot you. So, the next morning, Bradley, like, obviously he didn't die because he was testifying. So, he calls um, Aaron and said, what's up? And Aaron was like, who's this? And Bradley said, you know who this is. Mm. Like, oh my God. Could you, I would, I think I would shit my pants. <laughs> Could you imagine if you shot someone in the face and then they like called you the next day? Like, oh my God. <laughs> I would be terrified. Yeah. But I don't think I could shoot someone. I don't think you could either. No, and I, like, if I did, if I even, like, tried, I'd probably mess it up somehow and, like, jam it, and then I'd end up just, like, throwing the gun at them. <laughs> It'd be, like, a shit show, for real. But that was the end of that one. I forgot how good the Aaron Hernandez stuff was. I forgot all about the Alexander Bradley stuff. Yeah, the Aaron Hernandez one is probably one of my favorites. Yeah, and I 
I guess like I just like hadn't been into it in a while, but like I got all excited all over again. Like, mm-hmm. oh shit, you shot him in the face. <laughs> Thank you for listening to True Crime True Family. Follow us on our Twitter at TCTFP and Instagram at TCTF Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us where you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review. We appreciate all the feedback. Join us next week.